Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Cody Clark. Hello, everybody. Clearly, you can hear that's a voice different from mine, so you can tell that there is actually a, a second person named Cody Clark on the show. I'm not just talking into a vacuum that's echoing. You know, this isn't just some weird dystopian, strange, surreal episode. This is an actual person I'm having a conversation with. And uh, it's great to have you on the show, man. Good to be here. It might still be a weird dystopian thing. It might turn out to be that. I can't say. We can go for it. <laughs> but uh, all right. So let me retell a little bit of a story for the the listeners at home. Basically, I got a, a Facebook friend request from some guy I didn't know. I didn't have any friends in common with. And I sent him a message just seeing if he was, you know, a fan or if he was a robot or what was going on. And some weird stalker. Yeah, you never know. And uh, <laughs> so he he messages back and he's saying, like, are you the Cody Clark that's a film critic and podcasts and was on this podcast and this, that and the other? And it was a podcast I'd never heard of. So my first reaction was like, wait a second, are my smug film podcasts getting like aggregated into some sort of like weird thing that's then turning them into other podcasts like is it just some right. <laughs> like i i don't know if that exists maybe that exists it's conceivable Somebody in europe or china <laughs> yeah so i googled it and no it turns out that there is a film critic slash podcaster by the name of cody clark except without an e at the end and he is our guest on the show today so great to have you man it's good to be here. It's the weirdest thing. I've known <laughs> plenty of other Cody Clarks, but uh, never one who was that closely aligned. Last year, I ran a marathon, and uh, there was a Cody Clark who was in the same marathon. We had the same spelling and everything, and he finished faster than I did. But oh no! When they did the when they posted the standings, uh, they they put uh, they gave me his time and him my time. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's like uh, Jet Li's The One. Did you ever see that movie? I, yeah, I did. I did years and years ago. That was um, I was working for Mr. Showbiz still at that time. It's a now defunct website. That was what two thousand two thousand one, I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going to see that one in a theater in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. That was one of the last the last reviews I did before Mr. Showbiz got rolled up and uh, went to the internet graveyards. <laughs> so yeah, the basic plot for those who aren't familiar with that, that movie is that there are all these Jet Lees. Well, not, you know, he, he has a character name. It's not Jet Lee himself, but right. all these uh, Jet Lee character guys throughout all the universes. And there's this one Jet Lee that's jumping around between universes, trying to kill all the other ones, because when he does that, he gains their powers. So maybe there's a similar Cody Clark thing going on <laughs> is what I'm thinking. You know, we're we're all nice to each other now. We're talking peacefully, yeah. but who knows? Maybe one day we will have to uh, fight to the death for each the other's Highlander, power. Highlander 5 or 6. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you're saying, um, Mr. Showbiz, tell me about that, because I feel like I've heard the name. I remember right. it existing. So, Mr. Showbiz, when I was uh, straight out of college, I got an internship my sophomore year, uh, working for Mr. Showbiz. Mr. Showbiz used to be a general entertainment website. Uh, started out, um, Paul Allen, who's the co-founder of Microsoft with Bill Gates, had a bunch of web properties, and he wanted a general entertainment web property among those. 
And he used to have a company called Starwave, and that was where Mr. Showbiz started out. It was one of the Starwave's uh, web properties. Uh, it changed hands a couple of times and ended up being owned by the Walt Disney Company. So I went along there. I, I first showed up there in 98 in the in the summer, just as a summer intern. It was 97, then 97, 98. So I was interned there for uh, a couple of summers while I was in college. And then after I got out, they had a full-time position open up. So I went up there and I was there full-time for the last uh, three years they were around. Walt Disney has, or they had at one time, they were trying to create their own web portal. They wanted to have their own Yahoo or their own Google. Um, it's called go.com. A lot of the sites that they own still have go.com in the URLs. Like if you go to ESPN.com. Mm. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that. ESPN.go.com. Well, Go was Disney's attempt to create a portal, and they lost a whole bunch of money on that. And it's uh, a good so, name, though. Why couldn't it have existed? Yeah, it, it's it's, a, it's like Google but shorter. Yeah, yeah, and they they just uh, there was it's a long chronicle of mismanagement and getting into the game too late and right. not not really knowing what they were doing with the brand. But they had lost so much money, and Mr. Shelby's was just one of the things that had lost the money. It hadn't lost a lot by comparison, but it was the back in the days when, uh, when you the the only model that anyone had for making money online was selling ads, and they couldn't crack that with Mr. Shelby's. So after um, the dot com bubble burst, and particularly after September 11th, they look at took a long look at a lot of their internet properties that weren't making money and just cut the cut the cord on a bunch of them and that was Mr. Showbiz uh fell into that so um then I I had I had started out with them in Seattle moved down to Los Angeles right before Disney pulled the plug and then I went back uh so I'm originally from Utah well born in Seattle but grew up in Utah so I came back here and worked for a newspaper for almost 10 years as a film critic yeah, and I saw you're on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. You got some reviews up there. Most of the stuff that's on Rotten Tomatoes is from Mr. Showbiz. Okay. Um, I don't think any of the Daily Herald stuff. I was at the Daily Herald for a lot longer and wrote many more reviews. But that was after uh, Rotten Tomatoes had kind of stopped. Uh, they, they had put in place a policy for a while where if you were a film critic, you go to them and say, I'm a film critic, and they hook you up with, what you need to put your own reviews on their site. Right. Then stop doing even that. And I was never able to get on, uh, get on there with my Mr. Sh- or with a, the daily Herald reviews. So over the course of being at Mr. Showbiz, I probably wrote a couple of hundred reviews and some of those are still on Rotten Tomatoes and you can find bits and pieces of them other places online. They're not, the reviews themselves haven't been anywhere online except once in a while you can find it in the Wayback Machine or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was looking for Mr. Showbiz stuff right now. And it's it's a, still amazes me like the the chunks of internet history that just kind of disappear. Like yeah, I remember ahead. a lot of like the AOL days stuff. Like I yeah. have friends that I met on like AOL <laughs> keyword chats and stuff like that. And you can't find any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. They talk about how once something's on the internet, you can never get it back. But that's only as long as someone's paying for the hosting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm looking at your Rotten Tomatoes right now, and something that just stuck out for me is that you liked uh, Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which I like as well. I think it's pretty good. I did like Curse of the Jade Scorpion. It gets uh, run down a lot among Woody Allen stuff. I know. Um, it's I really cute. Liked, I really like that thing. Uh, another movie that's a good example of this is the one by the Coen brothers, the Hudsucker Proxy, where they go back to kind of like 
they make a 40s and 50s era comedy in the style that it would have been made in the 40s and 50s. I've always exactly I've always that. So yeah, it's um, a yeah. good vibe. I uh, I I think that's a really gorgeous film of his. I think uh, the production values like. There, there are a lot of these like maybe 90s, early 2000 production value things that like we took for granted at the time. Like a, an example I always use is like Showgirls is like a gorgeous movie visually and like the camera moves and the lighting and etc. But it was all taken for granted at the time. And I feel like Curse of the Jade Scorpion, you know, the production values and, and how it looks you just don't get that now on a film budget. You know, that's that's something that's really slashed as far as production costs. You look at like even Midnight in Paris, which I really, really digged, but Curse of the Jade Scorpion has a much better look to it just because it had that production value that you could still do. Well, and you, you get the feeling too that a lot of times people just kind of, that's the first, the first area that they knock out of the budget when someone tells them, okay, well, you can't have this much money. Then they say, all right, well we'll drop all of the visual aspect of it and we'll we'll just a lot of a lot of stuff now that just because you can do it with CGI people assume that's a good reason that you should yeah it's a uh, you know it, it's one of those everybody else is doing it so we can get away with it too but then right. you know it just all gets lumped into like this pile of shit you know yeah also you liked uh, Dr. Doolittle too you gave that a positive <laughs> review i don't know if you remember ever doing that I have a quote from you on it on here. It says, uh, for an enterprise so soullessly commercial on its face, Murphy's second outing as the MD who talks to the animals is surprisingly engaging. I think uh, the, the thing that I always hated about Rotten Tomatoes is it gives you a positive whether or not you like the film. Yeah, man. I notice <laughs> that all the time. I, don't, I noticed that for... This used to be on a 1 to 100 scale yeah. and then they moved to a 1 to 5 scale. But either way, a lot of films that fall into the like 50% to 60% range or uh, show up as a positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, they're very strange with that. Like I've, I've seen some reviews where like, you know, the actual quote is positive, but then it, it's, a, uh, it's a negative review on there and et cetera. Right. It's, it's very strange. But I, I actually never saw Dr. Doolittle too. That's a difference between us as Cody's. <laughs> I saw the first one. I, I remember sort of enjoying it as a child, but uh, never never saw the second. I think the second one was my first exposure to it. Um, Maybe that's why it was so fresh and interesting for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A uh, couple more. Let me scroll down. Hmm. I'm just going for the ones where like there's a big green one where all the people said it. And then there's a nice big red one for you. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. Oh, you like the gift? I love the gift. Not the recent yeah, one, the old one. The uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was just discussing that on the, the movie podcast weekly, uh, which is one of the one of the shows I'm occasionally on when the podcasts, uh, and they 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 were really uh, crowing over the new one. Mm -hmm. And a couple of us on their message board were like, "Well, you know, the old one wasn't so bad." And yeah, that was. Um, I have. I don't think I've seen that movie since I wrote that review, but that was a fun one. Yeah, um, I haven't. I haven't seen that one in ages, but I remember the performances were extremely strong in that. Like Keanu Reeves is is phenomenal in that film. Much better than you'd expect of Keanu Reeves. Yeah, and Kate Blanchett. That was a uh, one of the earlier roles that she had, where everyone thought, "Wait, whoa!" <laughs> Absolutely, and Giovanni Ribisi, very strange, oddball role. You know, as he's yeah, known for taking sometimes. Stuff. 
they had quite a few people, Katie Holmes and um, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, people remember that one as like a punchline because of uh, Katie Holmes, you know, you see her tits in it because uh, I, I feel like there's some Apatow movie where they point that out. But that's all people uh, talk. Oh, no, wait, it was Harold and Kumar. That's what it is. And the first one of those, they talk about that. Being the one thing that defines the movie for most people. I know. And it's a great little like weird Sam Raimi, uh, you know, suspense yeah, kind of thing. Vibe. Yeah, no, that's a fun one. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned uh, being on a podcast. Let's uh, let's talk about your podcasts that you uh, you frequent. Sure. So um, there's one that I'm a, a regular recurring co-host on. Uh, that's Movie Streamcast. Uh, that was started by a friend and then handed off to another friend. Uh, the idea is on Movie Streamcast that uh, a lot of the movie podcasts tend to run to to length, so you'll have people talking for a couple of hours. Um, and the guy who started this one wanted to have something that was short and succinct that people could uh, download, listen to, and then go watch it if they like the recommendation. So it's it's movies that are streaming online. It tends to run toward recent stuff that's streaming online, but once in a while there'll be something that's been out for a few years that gets a review. Um, but it's uh, the idea is to have the the entire podcast be 20 minutes or less. I think originally they were shooting for 10 minutes or less, but it's kind of stretched out over time. We do that one. The most recent show I did there was um, the Scarlett Johansson movie Under the Skin mm. uh, from last year. That was a... That was a fun one to talk about. Um, and then, so the guy who started that, his name's Jason Piles. Uh, Josh Legary runs it now. Um, Shout out to Josh Legary, by the way, because he's the one who put me and you together. That's right. He's the one who made the connection. Josh is a good cat. Um, and he's uh, he's out of the country right now. He's in Colombia. Uh, he's been down there all summer. Uh, he is actually a filmmaker and uh, has filmmaking jobs that take him to a lot of different strange places. Mostly he's done documentary stuff, but... Yeah, he uh, did that got... documentary Clean Flicks, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. That was his first one, and he's got a couple... He's had four or five other documentaries, uh, some that he's made for other people and some that are his own projects that he's worked on since then. And he's also got some uh, some pretty cool ideas for... He's a big horror fan, uh, and he's got a recently was uh, trying to get financing for a vampire movie that he had cooked up that was pretty fun. Um, so Josh is in charge of movie streamcast, and the guy who handed that off to him is Jason Piles. Uh, Jason runs horror movie podcast, which he does with Josh, and I haven't guessed it on that one. Um, although I, I sometimes go over there, I, I listen occasionally and. And present on their message boards, and once in a while I'll send them feedback. Um, they did an episode where they uh, spoiled the spoiled the climax of the ring, so I wrote them an angry letter about, "Hey," <laughs> <laughs> and they read that on the air. But so Jason also does Movie Podcast Weekly, which is a weekly show uh, where they review new films in theaters every week. Uh, usually, at least two or three of the new releases. Uh, Stuff that's uh, usually they only hit stuff that's in general release. Uh, Utah's kind of a weird place uh, for limited release stuff. We don't get a lot of. Uh, there's a couple of art house theaters in Salt Lake City, and other than that, um, stuff will show up. The Cinemark theaters here locally have a couple of programs where they'll show independent films, but usually it's not till they've been in been in theaters for about a month or so. So 
But Movie Podcast Weekly, um, Jason's had a show before that called Considering the Sequels, where they would review all the movies in a particular franchise. And I did that one four or five times. And then I've been on Movie Podcast Weekly uh, four or five times. That's a fun one. Just uh, they talk about stuff that they're watching recently, uh, stuff that they've watched at home with um, or stuff that they streamed. And then they get into the stuff that's new each week. And they also talk about stuff that's going on in the film world, news, trailers, uh, anything that anything that comes up. There's four hosts on that show. There's Jason. um, And then he's got two friends, Carl and Andy, that have been podcasting with him for five or six years now. And then they just recently added a fourth host who does a podcast called GeekCast uh, GeekCast Live, which is there in Chicago. And they do uh, stuff about just general interest geek stuff, comics, movies, um, books. And uh, GeekCast Rye is the the fourth co-host on Movie Podcast Weekly. So... I don't have my own podcast or anything. And since I stopped working at the Herald, I haven't been too active in writing reviews. Uh, Now I work for a software company and uh, was able for a while to uh, publish a few reviews on one of the websites I run for them and then haven't done anything for a while. So it's, it's been kind of a dry spell for me recently in terms of film criticism, but Hopefully with uh, with movie streamcast, uh, we've got a couple of fun ones coming up there and um, who knows? Eventually, maybe I'll get into uh, my own podcast and get out there that way. <laughs> yeah, man. You'll have to call it some uh, variation of smug film, I guess. You know, yes, gums or yeah. <laughs> backwards. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to get into, um, I guess, what are the similarities and differences between uh, me and you as far as movie taste? You for know, sure. For all we know, we're exactly the same. For all we know, we're <laughs> completely different. But, uh, <laughs> It'll be interesting to explore. What are some What are some movies that you like that maybe not everybody likes? You know, maybe maybe something that you dig that uh, gets ragged on, or I don't know, something that's that's indicative of uh, your specific taste. Maybe. Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, recently, I um, every once in a while I'll see a movie and I'll think it's great. And, um, and I'll tell everyone that and they'll just kind of look sideways at me. <laughs> All right. Well, I can, I can certainly relate to that. I guess that's a Cody Clark thing. Yeah. The most recent thing that that happened on was when I was still at the Herald, I saw the, the Disney animated movie, Wreck-It Ralph about the video game. I thought this is a great movie. I, I love this stuff. This is all about video games. I used to play. It's just like those video games. I thought it was a ton of fun and people from all different, uh, tastes have just kind of looked i've never met anyone except for a couple of the guys i know one or two people who like that movie as much as i do and one of them's my wife so (laughs) (laughs) you're like all right she likes wreck it ralph i gotta marry her right right (laughs) Uh, yeah i never saw that one i uh and i like john c Riley a lot so i should check that out it's a fun one. Uh, I, I have a I have a thing for a lot of animated movies. Kung Fu Panda is another one that I like. That one's not bad. I saw that yeah. one. I, yeah. I, what I like about it is it's good at being. Uh, it's it's fun just as an animated movie, but it's also it's got this total kung fu vibe. Exactly. It's like yeah. Actually watched real kung fu movies, and the story and the characters are right there. It's like you're watching something from the 70s with Bruce Lee. It's um, Yeah, it's got that Shaw Brothers feel, and I don't think it gets enough credit for that. I don't, 
I don't think enough people appreciate that. But non-animated movies, one that I liked just recently, uh, the Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow, that uh, basically tanked out of theaters, and they called it Live, Die, Repeat on video release. Um, I love that movie. Yeah, I've, it, I've heard I, a lot of good things from that. From from Like you said, you know, not necessarily everybody dug it, but people that I trust have... Uh, I've really appreciated it. Yeah, it got kind of written off as uh, Groundhog Day as a science fiction movie and kind of brushed aside. And I thought it was, I mean, that that does describe kind of the basic concept, but it's such a much cooler movie than that and so fun. The idea that, um, and they really, they really play around with it. The idea is that uh, the main character played by Tom Cruise is gradually, uh, and there, there's a lot of, stuff that sounds like nonsense if you were to try to explain it why this is happening to him but basically he's living the same day over and over again but each time he learns a little bit more about uh this alien menace that is uh destroying earth systematically and he thinks that gradually he may be able to there's there's one other person who's had this experience and he finds her and she says you know basically it happened to me until it didn't, and now it's happening to you. And if we work this just right, we can figure out how to win the war. Mm. It's a fun show. It's a really fun show. Emily Blunt is the female star. Um, it's the first time I'd seen Noah Taylor in anything uh, in ages. Uh, he plays a kind of a mad scientist who they run into, helps him out along the way. Uh, that was a cool one that I liked that didn't seem to connect as, as well as I thought it should have. I'm trying to think of anything that kind of out there <laughs> well for me um i recently you know i'd seen the first mortal Kombat movie like ages ago like everybody has right but uh i never saw the second one until very recently and i heard nothing but like bad things about it but the I, annihilation, the... yeah mortal Kombat annihilation so i rewatched yeah. the first one on blu-ray and then i watched the second one on blu-ray and i fucking love the second one right I, have you ever seen it no, I've seen the first one, not the second one. The second one is so fucking batshit insane, <laughs> but in the best possible way. It picks up right after the first one leaves off, but like three of the characters are recast, but they're just like, fuck it. We're, we're, let's just pretend like they're who they are. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it's so disjointed right. because you rarely see a movie where, where like it's, it's such a direct sequel that it's literally picking up minutes after. But and then, yeah, <laughs> totally. out the main cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it's ballsy that they're just like, no, fuck it. Let's just go with it because you don't even have a chance to like acclimate. No, it's it's like right into action. It's like we got to go somewhere. We got to do something. Da, 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 da. Let's fight, etc. And you got to appreciate it for that. But also the thing that I love about it is that all the effects, it's like it's just hodgepodge of like all effects like there's weird stop motion stuff there's weird cgi stuff there's horrible compositing where you're like how did you even think that that would work kind of thing like but it all works it, it becomes like this singular vision where it looks like nothing i've ever seen it's almost like hypnotic and the well, the pace of it is so breakneck that like every scene has an action beat it's like it's as though somebody heard like that thing of like oh an action movie has to have a beat like every 10 pages but then they were like, fuck it, we're going to go, we'll just do it every scene. So right. it just goes and goes and goes. And it barely has a story. But I, I'm telling you, like, I was gripped from the beginning to the end. I don't know that I understood everything that was going on, 
but I right. enjoyed myself. I, I adore that movie. And every now and again, something they'll, they'll come along. And even while you're watching it, you're thinking, I, I shouldn't be into this. Yeah. And yet, this is fun. Oh, definitely. I kind of had that same experience with Bulletproof Monk. Right. Yeah. You were, uh, you were, when we were doing our little email back and forth, uh, right. Bulletproof Monk came up, which I don't think I've ever seen. And I feel like I should have seen it at some point. So I think I need and to watch it. It's not a particularly great movie in any sense, but uh, you got Chow Yun Fat and you've got um, Stifler from American Pie. And yeah, American Sean William Pie. Scott. Yeah. Sean William Scott. Yeah. And they're playing, you know, Kung Fu duo who hook up and uh, basically go to battle against the underworld of whatever big city it is they're in. It's probably New York. And there's Nazis involved. And <laughs> it's just, it's, it's sort of this weird smash up of all these things that don't really seem to go together. Kung Fu and Nazis and uh, inner city crime. And, and somehow it all, it, it, it kind of feels like watching a double dragons video game as a movie. Right. <laughs> Did you ever see the, the Double Dragon movie, by the way? I see the Double Dragon movie. I remember when that came out. But, <laughs> and I, I played the game for hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was big into uh, particularly Super Double Dragon for the SNES. I don't think I ever played that one. Ooh, just that the, one was good. There was two for SNES. There was that one, and then there was like, I think it was called like Double Dragon 5 or something. It was, it was just, it was bad. But the Super Double Dragon one, ooh, man, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll really, really dig that one. That's a that's a Cody Clark thing. I will I will yeah. say it now. I know you'll enjoy it. Cool. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I think I'm gonna check out Bulletproof Monk. I'm looking it up now. It's only like eight bucks on Blu-ray. It's probably cheaper used. You know, I might I might give it a I shot. Netflix for cheap. Oh yeah, maybe the, yeah. If it's on Netflix, I could just uh, watch it on there instant. So. Quick question. Have you ever gotten compliments on your name? Because I have throughout my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Everyone, when I was a kid, everyone assumed that my parents were from Wyoming because that was the big association with the name was Cody, Wyoming. <laughs> so they're like, your parents from Wyoming? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, that's an awesome name. It's um, got a, it's got something to it. It's uh, I've, I remember distinctly in like elementary school, a kid was like, that sounds like a superhero name nice <laughs> it was like if there was like a superhero movie of my life like i became a superhero at some point that little clip would be in my like origin backstory like there would, that would be like a laugh line in the film it would be a kid saying that eh, sounds like a superhero name nice little wink to the audience kind of thing but yeah it's a it's a good name i like it you like your name right absolutely oh 100 <laughs> i've never i've never wished my parents named me something else or thought i was boring or anything like that I always liked my first name too. I, as a kid, like, you know, when you learn to like spell your name and stuff, like I liked the letters of it. I liked the simplicity of it, the C, the O, the D, the Y. I just very enjoyed it. Very clean. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not the 10th Jason in the classroom or you don't have to be Tom J and Tom's S. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always, I mean, those poor kids. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it must have sucked being like a John or a Chris or yeah. something and you're John C and John B and Chris J and Chris K and etc. You know, you yep. get your own personality when you're a, when you're a Cody. It's true. It's true. You have a little <laughs> breathing room. Are you familiar um you know, this jogged my memory, you know, when we were going to do this episode, but are you familiar with the actor Cody Lightning? No. There's an actor by the name of Cody Lightning. 
Isn't that awesome? awesome. <laughs> and he was he was born in like 86. So he's, uh, you know, I guess he's like 29, 30 now. And he I remember he's remembered him like in random things when I was a kid. He was like an Indian actor, you know, Native American. Huh. And uh, he was in like just random stuff like around, you know, mid 90s, early 2000s. I'm looking now. He was on like a couple episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. He uh, he was on in one X Files, but I I would just always see his name in like uh, credits, awesome. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was one of my favorite names ever was Cody Lightning because it was like me if I was like I don't know some superhero or something. Right, right. When you say that, when my wife and I first got married, we went on our honeymoon. Uh, for some reason, one of the things that we had liked to do to amuse ourselves was read bad romance, like really bad romance. <laughs> There was this novel that we read that it was about this uh, this woman who she and her husband were part of a secret uh, sort of like Interpol agency. They investigated international crimes, crimes that cross borders between nations. But so in this book we were reading, which is a hilariously bad book, but in, in the middle of the book, they, they run into this uh, undercover FBI guy whose name is Cody. And now I don't even remember anything else i don't i don't remember his last name except he's cody and he's a native american <laughs> um, and when he first arrives the protagonist of the novel who's the the female character she's she pictures him slinking through the forest in a loincloth with a black wolf at his side that's like her immediate reaction to cody the native american fbi agent <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> You know, I have a suggestion for uh, you and your wife, by the way. I learned this yesterday. You might know this already, but did you know that Fabio writes romance novels? I did not. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw two of them. I saw two of them next to each other yesterday, and that it is, blew my mind. That is fantastic. He writes romance novels. There was this I, one called Pirate and this one called Rogue, and they were sitting next to each other at the bookstore, and I lost one. I kept looking at it. I was like... There's no way like he wrote this. Like it has to be right, like, right. you know, right. it just says this on the cover so people will look at it and His like assistant on, really wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> on the be No, but apparently he writes them. And he's on the that cover. He's on the cover of all of them. And it's like, it, you know, it's that great, you know, artist rendering, you know, great sunset in the background. <laughs> but it it's Fabio. He writes romance. It's incredible. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so you got to definitely pick one of those up for the, uh, the little lady. Right, right. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, we are going to take a quick break right now, and we will be back with more show in just a little bit. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. Seven one eight three nine five nine seven one one, and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. So I worked uh, No Escape a couple times. That's that Owen Wilson one that everybody's freaking out because he's in a serious role. It's like, who cares? But these two guys came in. They both had these big, dumb grins on their faces. They're looking at me, and they're going, oh, man, is this a bad movie? Because we love bad movies. 
and then they look at each other and smile and then they look at me and smile and they're like moving in sync it's freaking me out and shit and then i'm just like i don't know it's it's uh it's okay it's got parts there's some overacting maybe in some parts they're like oh good overacting we love overacting oh man i can't wait to make fun of this can you wait not wait to make fun of this i'm just like all right guys have fun i'm just tired of this attitude you know i'm tired of people wanting bad movies like they go into a movie they just want it to be bad at this point where's the fun in that it's fun for like two seconds when we were teenagers get over it thanks chloe and now back to the show and we are back all right we uh we've seen some good stuff in the theaters lately and uh we're gonna be talking about that give it a little double cody clark perspective uh you were telling me you saw far from the madding crowd yeah that's the uh so it's uh, you kind of have to be in a thomas hardy kind of mood uh for that one um a lot of people don't like uh, Thomas Hardy just because they got forced to read Tess of the D'Urbervilles in high school. Um, but this is, uh, it's based on, uh, one of his, one of his other books. Um, uh, and it's directed by, uh, Thomas Vinterberg, who's one of the dogma guys. Yeah. He's uh, a really interesting guy. He, he's yeah. done some, some very out there stuff and he's always, it, it seems like he's always trying something new. Right. Which this was definitely, uh, something he hadn't done before. Um, which, which is always, I, I always kind of enjoy that when a filmmaker shows you something different when, uh, especially when it's a filmmaker I like, I w- I'm a huge fan of the Coen brothers, uh, true grit because I thought they did it so well. And it was something that you wouldn't have expected them to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with like, uh, even, even ones that like a lot of people don't like that even I don't like either, like intolerable cruelty or lady killers, like at least they're right. still trying something different. Right, right. There, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy either of those two very much. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it's cool that they're doing something that it's not quite the same old thing, especially the lady killers. Um, and it, that was fun just to see Tom Hanks doing something way outside of his comfort zone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But so far from the Madding crowd, uh, the thing that strikes me about it the most is how visually gorgeous it is. Well, um, even just the poster, I've only, I don't think I've seen a trailer for it, but the poster is exquisite. Right, right. It's, uh, and, and Vinterberg has, you know, I, a lot of the dogma guys, I think by making all those films with natural lighting and uh, working within those constraints, learned a lot about um, visual composition that, that, other people uh, maybe don't get as much uh, education in that that kind of passes other people by because of the the convenience in a lot of ways of modern filmmaking. Mm. Uh, but it's it's a so it's a story about an independent woman for her time uh, who ends up courted by three different men uh, over the course of a, of a few years. Uh, one of them's uh, a farmer. One of them is starts out as a shepherd. Uh, and then there's a series of events that kind of leaves him as a hired hand. And then there's a third guy who's a soldier and uh, sort of comes to the relationship after after some personal tragedy in his life. Um, and it's it's really it's there's all four actors, uh, Mads, not Mads Mickelson. Um, who am I thinking of? It's it's one of those guys. <laughs> he plays the shepherd. Uh, Michael Sheen plays the farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Mulligan is the 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 heroine of the piece. And oh, this is gonna drive me nuts. Hold on a second, I'll look it up. Um, 
it's just a it's a really fun play between the four leads, the way that they act off each other and uh, interact in surprising ways. Uh, a lot of things happen in the movie that uh, don't seem to fall in line with what you're expecting. It's Matthias Schoenartz is the actor who plays the farmer. He looks like Mads Mikkelsen, kind of. Mm. Um, and he's done, this is his uh, second or third film, I think, with with Vinterberg. And uh, it's it's this really interesting love story where she kind of forms an attachment in different ways to each of the three of them. And then uh, one of those attachments ends up being the one that endures and the other two, for various reasons, don't work out. Gorgeously filmed, uh, really fun story with uh, some excellent acting, uh, particularly uh, Michael Sheen is really good. Uh, Matthias Schoenartz and Carrie Mulligan, both excellent. Uh, it's Tom Sturridge is the fourth, uh, main actor. He's a British guy. Done a done a few things. Um, and there's a there's a very small part by Juno Temple. It's a really uh, there's there's a lot of uh, it's period piece. So it, you you kind of have to be in the mood for that, I guess, uh, to really go down down that road. But uh, it's a fun movie and one that um, where did we see it? We saw it at the at the second run house. There's a so there's a dollar movie. Uh, oh man, a- you just made my mouth water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have, dude, you have no idea how expensive movies are in New York City. It's it's yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah, and this is uh, they they started out as a dollar movie, and they would have fifty cent uh, fifty cent Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, many years ago, I uh, I had a freelance gig for two or three years writing uh, in the newsletter for Movies.com. And uh, one of the things I would do on a regular basis is I would go see each week a different movie for 50 cents. Oh, my God. Newsletter. <laughs> yeah, their discount price now, they've they've gone up a little bit in recent years. Their, their cheapest showing now is $1.50. <laughs> it's still awesome. It's a great way. You have to wait for things. They don't get there right away. It's second-run theater. Right. It's a great way to still go see a movie for cheap. And uh, the theater's a little bit run down, but they replaced all the seating there recently and they've upgraded some of the auditoriums. And it's it's close enough that we can actually even walk there uh, if we've got an hour or so on a Saturday afternoon. So it's a fun way to pass the time. That was where we saw that. Um, that sounds awesome, we, yeah. Yeah, we try to go there um, a couple of times a month just because you can't beat the price. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, the thing about New York City is it, it, it's difficult to see everything. Like you want to, as a critic, you know, as a podcaster, you want to be able to see everything everybody's seeing and, you know, yeah. offer your opinion. But man, I'm, I see less and less, you know, mostly I see stuff on Netflix. Uh, we have a really good library here, so we get stuff pretty quickly right. on DVD at the library and I can see stuff that way, but man... Public libraries are great. That's an underrated way to uh, catch up on stuff. Yeah, um, dude, I've been I've been a big proponent of that. I I love uh, I love what the library is doing now with DVDs because it it's like your ideal movie rental place. It, it's become the best video store. You know, it's it really has it really has. You get a good library where someone's been developing the collection for a lot of years. Uh, it's like those uh, places like Scarecrow Video in Seattle where you used to go and find anything you want. Exactly. Uh, disappearing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's free. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you like, get the movies for seven days. You can renew them for as long as you want, as long as somebody isn't putting a hold on them. And late right. fee is like a dollar a day after that. And it's, oh. you know, I, I get movies that, you know, re- released on DVD in like 2015, you know, from like last year or the year before. And I, I get to catch up on them that way. And usually I'll, I'll be the first person to get the disc. So it's perfectly clean. And right, right. It's incredible. It's a great resource. My parents were both librarians growing up, and actually, that was where I, I uh, watched a lot of my the first movies I saw. Was so this is uh, this will give you a clue how long ago this was. But the computer had a the the mainframe that was the computer for the entire library that all their um, other computers tied into. It had to have a physical backup, and there had to be someone had to go over there on the weekend and run like a two, three hour backup. And you had to actually be there and change reels in the middle of it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. So my dad had that job cause we lived across the street from the library and also cause he was the only one who was uh, into the computer system enough to understand it. So he would go over there and do that. We would go with him and he'd just throw videos on from the collection. Nice. So that was, that was how I watched a whole ton of stuff. Um, yeah, I have definite fond memories of, of renting stuff from the library early on. It, it seemed like even back then, like when I was a kid, you could get some oddball stuff there that you might not necessarily be able to get in a, uh, a rental place. Like I remember the first time I saw Pixar stuff, I saw the Pixar original shorts, you know, the one with like the unicycle right. and the, right. uh, the, 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 um, you know, the desk lamp. And right. all that, you know, I was seeing that I, stuff on tape part, because yeah. of the library. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, and the the collection, as long as something can still be played, they'll keep it in the collection. Yep. <laughs> so Absolutely. All this depth of stuff that's not available anywhere else. You can't even Netflix doesn't have the the depth of stuff available that you can get at a good library. Oh, yeah. And people, you know, people just assume that everything is on Netflix, but yeah, yeah. Nine out of 10 movies I get from the library every week because you can get 10 at a time, which means I can blow through a stack. And like if something's not good, I could just turn it off in five minutes and throw something else on and try that. Right, right. And uh, people don't realize so much stuff it doesn't end up on Netflix or has never been on there is only there on there for yeah, like a actually, short time. Has, movie has to make a pretty, a pretty big impact to stay on Netflix very long. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've friends that had, you know, really really well received movies that can't get on netflix or were on there and were on there for like a heartbeat you know yeah josh went through that for a while when uh clean flicks went to netflix they got it on there for a while i don't know if it's still there it might be i think that's how i saw it probably yeah but that was that it took them a lot of effort uh to get what had been a fairly well received movie for them they uh, ended up at the toronto film festival with it and they'd had a lot of success with it and it still took a lot of effort to get Netflix to add it. And then you go on Netflix and you can find like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like one star movies that were just like crapped out of like some factory somewhere. Like there's a, right. you know, there's a lot of these like weird talking animal movies that are on Netflix that are like extremely low budget and unwatchable. And like there's one called a, a talking cat which is incredibly bad. And uh, there's a zoo in here. And there's all these, all these like weird titles that are based off the fact like, all right, somebody's just going to type into the search box dog or cat. Right. So let's come up with every single variation on that theme. 
And there's like a movie for every single one, and they're all like one star, and they're unwatchable. Yeah, one of the things that drives me crazy the most about Netflix is all the crap that my kids can find to watch on there. Stuff that's exactly like what you're describing. It's not good at all. Yeah, it's it bottom of the barrel. Created it to hit a popular search term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a strange filmmaking thing where it's become like, you know, making websites for every single URL or whatever. Like they're trying to make titles for every single possible search. Right. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you see the Jane Eyre um, adaptation from a couple years back that uh, yes. Kari Fukunaga did. Did you like that yes. one? Yeah, that was a great one. So good, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. When you were talking about uh, Far From the Madden Crowd, it made me think of that because, uh, I mean, visually, that, that Jane Eyre adaptation, you know, if you know Kari Fukunaga from True Detective listeners right. out there, you know, he is he has a solid, flawless film career. Sin Nombre, his first film, is gorgeous right. and brilliant. And and his Jane Eyre adaptation is fantastic. He he is solid. So if you're if you're uh, at home disappointed with True Detective season two, it's because your boy Kari Fukunaga isn't there <laughs> cleaning shit up and making it perfect. I mean, he is extraordinary. I, I really, really dug that uh, that Jane Eyre adaptation. and That's fantastic. And a lot of people don't realize, I think, um, kind of the richness that's available to a, a good director taking on one of those period pieces. Uh, there's, there, there's so many of them that get made that there's kind of an assumption that they're all the same. But right. a good director can really do something with that stuff. When Emma Thompson and Ang Lee... Um, made their adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. That's another one I really love. That's mm -hmm. from uh, about 20 years ago now. That's astonishing. <laughs> and at the time, that was like, that was a big movie. People adored that film. Yeah, no, yeah, that was a great one. Um, and and there's, uh, there you can really, um, you can do a lot of interesting stuff uh, without displeasing fans of the genre. Um, I, I There's probably a lot of people who watched um, Jane Eyre and didn't even appreciate necessarily um, how well he handled that. And yeah, it's uh, almost like a horror movie at points. Like you don't know yeah, how uh, dark or twisted it's going to get. It's got a great suspense to it that he really, he really made sure was still there from the book. Right, right. No, that's an excellent movie. I'm really actually I'm looking forward to later this year uh, the the one that Kerry Fukunaga has coming out, uh, Beast of No Nation. The um, yeah. The African Warlord movie. That one looks um, both very disturbing and and oddly compelling at the same time. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's really earned my trust. You know, I'll, yeah. at this yeah. point, whatever he comes out with, I'm going to see. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of cool when you find someone they get to that point with you where like, yeah, no, I'll I'll go anywhere. You 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 tell me what your next film is and I'll see it. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's kind of a good segue into the uh, film in theaters that technically isn't in theaters yet that I saw recently. I saw an ad advanced screening of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new film, The Visit. And right. Shyamalan, he gets a lot of hate, but I've always been a fan of his. Even his like so-called lesser films like Lady in the Water and The Happening and The Village, I still think they're pretty good. I think they have qualities to them that do work, that people that hate on him kind of just, you know, it, it, it's a, the equivalent of putting their fingers in their ear and they're like, la, 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 la. They don't want to admit that certain things work in those films. Like it, the happening in particular, cinematography by one of my favorite cinematographers, one of the greatest of all time, Tak Fujimoto. You watch that movie on silent. You, wa you watch it on mute. 
it, it's told visually so perfectly well. He he's a master cinematographer. He's he's one of the best, absolutely. But that movie gets you know shitted on a lot because you know it's it's dumb in places. But you right. know everything he says about it, he's like, I was just making a fun B movie, and I don't think people really accepted it as that. It it was right before the new girl with uh, Zoe Deschanel. So it was right before people were really into her as like this comedic talent. And it was right before people were into Mark Wahlberg as a comedic talent. It was right before the other guys and a couple of those other fun ones. So people took his acting as just like bad and stupid and people took her acting as bad and stupid. And I think history has proven that they were actually pretty deliberately comedic and pretty, pretty self-aware of what they were doing. And I, I think that movie works on a lot of levels that maybe if people revisited it, they would dig. But all that said, The Visit isn't like that. The Visit oh. is a legit movie that I, I there's so much about it. That I don't think people will be able to deny, like even people that have been hating on him for the last 10 years or so. I think there are things in that movie that work that there's no there's nothing they can say you know, that, like even if they don't like the the finished product, they, they they'll be like, "But this worked, and this worked, and this worked." They will have to say that it's a it's a found footage film, and the typical thing with found footage films, except for Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield, is that a lot of these found footage films are very one note. You know, it's one right. vibe for the entire film. It's basically you know, a third of a movie, it feels like almost. It feels like right. just one act that never ends. Right. <laughs> this is a found footage movie that has comedy, genuine creepy vibes, genuine suspense, and genuine like emotional stuff in it. Like it could be conceivable that somebody could cry watching this movie. It, uh, well, it, it hits on that, that point. And I, I think, you know, M. Night is such a well-rounded director and writer you know six sense you know very scary very eerie film and also extremely emotional and right. uh, i saw that one for the first time that was um that was when i was still working at mr showbiz and i saw an advanced screening it was like six weeks before oh, wow. I, yeah so i saw a way early screening of that i had no idea what it was about um or like i don't think there were even like very many trailers in release at that point mm -hmm. and, it was I, I I just went in completely cold, which is an experience I wish a lot more people could have with that movie because I think they'd appreciate it a lot more now. Oh, it's yeah, it's like the classic, almost to a greater extent than The Empire Strikes Back, the classic movie that shocks you with the big reveal. <laughs> exactly. It's the, the classic example of a twist. But the thing about that movie is that people that even know the twist, the movie is told so well that you kind of forget the twist as you're watching. You can. He's he's very good at that. And even even the movies that people don't like as much, he's very good at creating an atmosphere, mm -hmm. uh, creating a mood and kind of getting you to go with him. Whatever whatever the mood is that he's going for, he's really good at drawing you in and kind of to, uh, bringing you along so that you're you're feeling the vibe. Yeah, the the visit is really good early on setting you up for a particular vibe and then easing in strange things as it goes on. Um, the basic gist of it, it's, it's about two kids who go up to uh, their grandparents' house and they're hanging around there. And one of the kids is making like a documentary about it just on her little DSLR. 
And it's grandparents that they've never met before. There's an estranged relationship between their mom and the grandparents. But the grandparents want to see the kids. So they, they bring them up and they're alone with them. And they're basically just filming their grandparents while they're hanging out with them. And grandparents, they can be kind of strange sometimes. And, you know, everybody's dealt with grandparents that have, whether it be Alzheimer's or dementia or some sort of behavior that's just a little strange. And it's really, it hits the emotional beats of that. You know, if if you ever had experience with that, you're going to, that's going to come up because you're going to be like, oh man, I remember that. You know, I, I've dealt with that. And well, and every every kid has gone to grandma's house or grandpa's house and found something somewhere. Like, you know, there'll be a, a dusty room uh, at the end of the hall and you just go in there and you look at this really old stuff and it just, it's, yeah. uh, it's uh, there's, I, I think every kid has kind of had the experience that the, the trailer is really good at creating the vibe of, you know, the happy stuff that happens at grandpa and grandma's house, but also how sometimes there's, uh, and, and, you know, I think especially if with relatives that you haven't met, you know, there's always kind of a, a, a strangeness about people that you do have a connection to and you're expected to know and relate to. But at the same time, they're totally different people than than you've ever known before. And that's that's cool. That's kind of I, I, I actually like the trailer for that one a lot. I was is it even is it coming out in October or September? It's coming out September 11th. So pretty soon, just around the corner. I honestly, I don't know what it'll be on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, he's usually pretty low recently. I would err on the side of that. I think I think people will shit on this movie. I don't think it'll be up there in the 80s or the 90s, but I would expect it around 50 or 60. I feel like there's enough in it that that people just can't deny, even if they're so biased against him. But I, if you like the trailer, I think you'll really dig the film. And... Uh, you know, I I was with an audience that, that really dug it. So I I definitely know that it will have its fans. And I think it'll definitely be more well-received than, you know, his last four or five films easily. Jason, the friend of mine who hosts Movie Podcast Weekly, The Village, is his all-time favorite film. And oh, nice. A fact that comes up frequently on the podcast. And he's uh, he's gone to, gone to the mat at length in a couple of the episodes uh, it doesn't always get into it, but a couple of times he's gotten into it, why he likes it so much. Um, and he's uh, he'll defend Shyamalan tooth and nail. For I love this a- guy. I got to have him on because... I know I, I know he's looking forward to that one. Uh, and he also loves horror movies. So Oh, he's going to uh, love it. Yeah. He'll be probably into this one. Yeah. Yeah. The Village. I, I, I dig The Village. I like The, I like the Village. I never had a problem with it. I, I think people got really fucked up because they found out the twist early. I remember that got leaked online. and But the twist isn't really the twist. You know, that, that's the thing with a lot of Shyamalan stuff. It's like the twist doesn't negate everything that transpired. But it gets kind of written off like that when people talk about it. Like once people know the twist of Sixth Sense, they act like they feel like they solved a Rubik's cube almost like they're like, all right, well I can just toss that into the other corner of the room. I'm done with that. It's like, no, there's a, there's a whole story there. There's people that go through things. It's that's not everything. That's always disappointing to me when I show a movie to someone, it's a movie I like and they throw it out because, Oh, I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gold star for you. Come on. Yeah, seriously. There's other reasons to watch the movie. There's stuff that, you know, it's the acting, the the writing, the cinematography, all that stuff can, 
you can know exactly what's in the cards and still enjoy the movie, even though, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the journey is 90% of it. And then the destination's yeah. like, what, 10%? Yeah, I, I, The Village is one of his more successful films at just creating this unique, different atmosphere and, mm -hmm. and really creating a sense of time and place. And just, yeah, it's, um, it almost doesn't matter what the twist is or that there's a twist because the, the rest of the vibe about that film is so fun. Just the, the time and place and the weird stuff in the forest and, and a very, very unique love story. Definitely. All right. So we are going to wrap it up here. Cody Clark, thank you for being on the show, man. Anytime, Cody Clark. It's a, <laughs> it's a cool experience. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, any any final thoughts for our audience before we split? Watch movies. Yeah, watch and movies, guys. Support your local library. <laughs> <laughs> Support your local library. Watch movies. And let's get those names of those podcasts again right before we go. Movie Streamcast, uh, streaming recommendations, movies that you can find online. Uh, Josh and I in particular, if anybody out there is a fan of the TV show Survivor, We've both been watching it uh, pretty much through the entire run. And so we're doing a, an episode coming up where we're rating all 30 seasons to date. Damn, 30 seasons? <laughs> yeah. I did not realize it had been on that long. I guess that's not one per year. That's probably like two a year, I guess. They, they do two every year. So it's been going for 15 years now. Is there is there one season that's like tremendous? That's your favorite? Uh, the season that's my favorite that I always go to for someone who hasn't seen the show um it's i think it's about 19 or 20 is survivor samoa it's the season that russell hance came onto the show the first russell hance season uh anyone who's casually familiar with that he was one of the the players who um he so players end up either being known as villains or heroes on the show depending on how they played the game mm -hmm. and russell is one of the the great villains in survivor history um, just because he, uh, he he did a couple of things early on that were mildly underhanded, uh, kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes. And then he just engineers this great game where about halfway through it ends up that he's... Um, one of the things that's frustrating about Survivor is what usually happens is one tribe will be way up in the numbers on the other tribe. Then they just vote that tribe off one by one and then turn on each other. It's predictable. Mm-hmm. Russell does pulls off one of the great turnarounds where it ends up he's down in the numbers. His tribe is down in the numbers like five to eight or something. And he he engineers the other tribe voting each other off when really they should just be getting rid of Russell and his tribe mates. Hmm. Um, and but he he turns it around on him and gets them to turn on each other. And they keep telling each other, well, we'll get these other guys in a few weeks. And then it ends up with Russell and three of his teammates, and like one guy from the other tribe or the final four. And it's just, it's, um, what makes that show fun is watching people convince other people will work with me on this, vote my way on this. And then, um, and he's a master of that. And he, he basically uses one member who's kind of been left out of the other tribe as a wedge to split the entire tribe and then, and then gets control with this other member. And then it's, then it's his game and it's, it's a really cool, it's a fun season. Nice. Uh, and people who haven't watched that show tend to kind of look sideways at it, like, oh, that's just one of those dumb reality shows. But uh, Survivor is a ton of fun if you have any sort of interest in um, 
any of those uh, survival shows that are popular now, like Naked and Afraid or Bear Grylls or any of that stuff, if you like that aspect, Survivor has that aspect of it. And then it's also got the people voting each other off and turning on each other aspect that all of the other reality shows like Big Brother have. So it kind of combines those two vibes. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember watching the first one and maybe the second one, too, when I was a kid. And yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it when I watched it. I just, I guess I just fell out of, uh, you know, the groove of it. I don't know. But uh, I, was a, I was a snob at first. When it first came out, I deliberately didn't watch it. And um, uh, so I met my wife about the fifth season and um, I said something dismissive of her because she watched the show and she was <laughs> and that made her mad. And so then I was like, OK, I got to diffuse the situation. And <laughs> so <laughs> I admitted that okay, I haven't seen it. I don't really know. And so she made me watch the fifth season. I was hooked and have watched it ever since and have recently gone back and watched the first four. So. Nice. So you've, you've watched pretty much every season then, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, nice. And that's the premise of this episode we've got coming up on movie streamcast is which season of the 30 that have aired is the best. And uh, we're certain to disagree about that. So that'll be fun for anyone who likes survivor. Yeah. That's cool, man. And Movie Podcast Weekly, I'm not on that one as much, but uh, it's a fun show for anyone who likes movies, uh, likes to hear people talk about them. Those guys have a really nice, um, a really nice interplay, kind of a four-man weave thing going that uh, it's it's just a ton of fun to listen to. And they talk about um, a lot of cool movies. They talk about the latest movies that are in theaters, but they also talk about a lot of stuff. They have a lot of themed episodes where each of them will pick five or six movies tied to a certain theme, whether it's like movies from the 90s or greatest movies about the human spirit or whatever it is that they're doing that week, they'll bring in a lot of movies that, um, so it's it's a great show to see, even if you're, even if you're not all that into um, what's new in theaters, it's still a really fun listen. So those two, I would definitely recommend to anyone who likes movies. Cool, man. And that definitely seems up the alley of our listeners. So uh, I think they'll get a kick out of that. Excellent. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. We'll we'll definitely have you back on in the future. And uh, great talking cool. to you, man. Yeah. All righty. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>